0: Radio Meerstein
1: Shalom and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamit in Highland Park, New Jersey at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation, On Ahmed. Joining me my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Long Island, Salomon Shekhar Day School, Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshei Chesed in New York City, but on sabbatical, but still with us, dedicated to the Parsha Talk. And what a Parsha Talk we have. We're going to talk about... Parshat VaYikra, which is an amazing parsha. We're going to talk about the Maftir of this week, Shabbat Zachor, and we're going to talk, we're going to do a little game. We're going to surprise everybody. A little game for Purim, thinking about Purim and its significance. But first, let's go into VaYikra, the hardest book in the Torah. Proposition: Argue, yes, hardest. Do you agree? <laughs> it's the hardest. Most, most
0: most alien to contemporary religious life, but but beautiful in its way. Uh, you know, when we get into Parshat kidoshim certainly very deep, but I think that there's, you know, real beauty and art to the sacrificial system, even though I don't really want to practice it in contemporary life, and, I, and not, nobody scares me more than, than the people, you know, who like literally, like the underground from the 80s, and these folks still exist who are trying to blow up the mosque and have re, reinstitute animal sacrifices, I think that's the worst thing I can imagine, but when you read the text, this is what we've done for centuries, read the text, learn the text, and that will that will sort of fill the gap of not performing the sacrifices.
2: So for the rabbis, this was the key book of the Torah. This is the one that they thought should be taught first to the little kids. And I think that the message for us, notwithstanding Jeremy's comment, but the augmented perhaps, is that you know there are lots of ways to be a, a mensch, a good person, and we could compare Christian ethics, Muslim ethics, Jewish ethics, and. There are some significant differences, but overall, each of the three major monotheistic religions of the West want us to be good people. What distinguishes us as Jews in the Bible was the sacrificial cult that was unique to Judaism in the permutations that are recorded in the Torah. And one thing that distinguishes us today are our rituals. So we could take that lesson and apply it to our Jewish life today and look for ways that we can be distinct because we don't always want to be like Mike or like anyone else or everyone else. We want it to be
1: unique. So I want to approach this and say that, that there's obviously something very, very deep about the sacrificial system. Otherwise it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have sustained itself for the hundreds of years that it did from the, the construction of the first temple to its destruction. And then the reinstitution of the 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 reconstruction of the second temple all the way through its destruction in the year seventy so we're talking about close to fifteen hundred years of of a sacrificial uh called the first temple thousand b c to five eighty six and then uh five seventeen to seventy so you're you're talking you're looking at maybe eleven twelve hundred years where where this is the way that 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 religion is done, so it must have had it must have captured the imagination of people. And I think that, that there are so many elements to it, including the element of, of life and death, the element of spectacle, the element of public and private, the element that, that we can start with, which is the, the human desire that, to come close to God and to not be rejected by God. So the verse is, Adam ki akriv mikem korban. And we always note that the it says Adam, human being, Adam, you know, hearkening back to Breshit Adam, Kiyakriv, who brings forward a korban, a we call sacrifice korban, and the root of Korban is karov, and that's pretty clear that it's the process of coming close. And in the process of coming close, your biggest worry is whether or not you're going to be accepted. And that's the drama that's unfolding in the sacrificial ritual, which I think is why it's so powerful. It's because all you want is to be accepted. All the human, if if, if you enter into the system, all you want as a, as a worshiping Jew is to know that, that God is accepting you because the biggest anxiety or trauma that you have is to be rejected. And where do we see that trauma? We saw it from the beginning, at the beginning of the Bible. When Cain brings his sacrifice, God doesn't doesn't pay attention to him. Abel brings a sacrifice, God pays attention. You know, it's as if God accepts it, but I I think the, 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 the precise interpretation is God pays attention to it. And when God pays attention to something and God ignores something else, you don't want to be the person that God is ignoring, and and that's that's a trauma, and we're living with that trauma, right? That's that's how I I I, I see the 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 structure of the sacrifice is playing out a, a deeply human story, together with its spectacle, with the song, with the blood, with the smoke, with the fire, with everything. I, I mean, I I make a. A big picture out of it i don't know if you want to react to to that or or how how you react to that because you know we we all have different interpretations of what does this represent so you're you're thinking you know we we talked a little before about this but does the animal represent the person or does the animal represent some kind of gift in the cycle of giving
0: but i think that's i think that's a bit of a false you know uh distinction because i think that it, it is a gift and it is about creating the, this relationship between the, 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 the giver and the gift with the recipient, the divine recipient. I do think that the, the, that the gifts represent the person, um, the, the whole blood system, the putting the hands on the sacrifice. In my religious life, also in the in the sort of Nachmanadean uh, tradition of Judaism, uh you know the the more mystical oriented mythical oriented uh the only real gift that you give god is your life is yourself and of course we don't you know kill ourselves we have god as a god of life who wants more life wants more meets vote wants more good action wants more refinement as a person but you offer your whole self in the in the way of this animal but it is the gift it is the gift that that brings you close as you said karov yeah, korban the the kuf resh bet root which is karob. I also think that the um, the the English word you know a lot of times people will, will will make the observation that oh sacrifice is a bad word because it means like what you lose or give up and korban is a better word because it means you draw near. I actually think the English word sacrifice is perfect because the root means sacred. It's the thing that you make sacred. It's it, and there's a good Hebrew word for that. Which is hekdesh? You devote something to the kodesh. You devote something to the sacred, and it creates this opportunity for the person who offers the gift to enter the realm of what is sacred, what's not ordinary, but what's uniquely
1: special. It's hard. It's hard for me to 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 come closer, oh. <laughs> Le- Le- Karev, to that to that interpretation. Only I, I'm, I'm really stick, sticking to the to the lexicography here. To the to the, the word. And, and I, I, I really, you know, in reading this, I want to make that imaginative leap and say, okay. And I just saw the, the movie that the, the, this Israeli movie called Agadat Kurban, which is, you know, depicts scenes of sacrifice in a kind of animated way. And, and, you know, if you, if you, if you enter into the scene and you are the worshiper and you are bringing in your sheep or your animal, and you are witnessing this. You're witnessing the the noise and the silence and the and the slaughter and the blood and the smoke and the smell. And it it completely envelops your senses. It's very powerful. I don't think that makes I, I, the last experience that I would have there would be a feeling of sacred. I would have a feeling of I'm, it's overwhelming. It's all. It's 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 it's, it's beyond explanation if it were not for the fact that it could become so regular and routine as to become somewhat t- meaningless over, over time. And that's the crisis that happened with it. Barry, you want to So I'm struck, though, by
2: one of your comments. When we think back to the Gettysburg Address,
1: yeah.
2: President Lincoln referred to the scene before him, which was going to become a national cemetery, as sacred space. Yeah. And unlike most cemeteries where people are brought... This was a battlefield cemetery. This was filled with blood. And yet, for Lincoln, and I think for those who were gathered there, it was a sacred space. And what I don't know sacred? that. I think that what made it sac- sacred was the spilling of blood. Yes. For a great purpose. The, and certainly, what Lincoln understood to be the great purpose, which was the sa- salvation of the Union. But I think that the spilling of blood, in and of itself, can create a dimension of holiness that not having blood spilled does not necessarily do. That the great drama of the sacrifice has to do with blood. And the Kohanim take over indisputably when the blood is going to be sprinkled on the altar or for some sacrifices on the, the curtain separating the kodesh or the, or the Kodeshim or brought into. The the holy space because blood commands our attention. Yes. And you know, the word that appears that occurs to me is that sacrifice is theater. And theater requires attention and intention or concentration. You know, I was reminded that a lot of us, especially in the days of COVID, we spend a lot more time watching TV or movies at home. And it's sometimes hard to pay attention. I think at, when you're in the live theater, you have a much easier time paying attention. It's a lot harder to lose your concentration. And no, you, that is what made the sacrifice the sacrifice, is that it was live theater.
1: Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, and I would use the word spectacle, you know, to as a kind of you know uh, synonymous with what you're saying it's you are standing there and watching this and 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 of course blood has more than one meaning to it and blood belongs to God blood is life and and so what you, what the spectacle the drama or the theater of this is that you are you are you are concentrating the drama of life and death right in front of you you have power the ultimate power over a creature it's as if you are channeling that ultimate power not against a human but you're channeling it to a a victim a sacrificial victim that victim is getting slaughtered the blood which belongs to god and represents life is then going to the base of all life that sustains the world which is what in the in in the in the temple mythology in the sanctuary idea is that this is what's going to sustain the world because this is what we are giving back to God and God, and therefore soliciting through our action God's attention to us. And 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 I can't, I mean, I used to be very, not squeamish about it, but, you know, we get to Vayikra and think, oh, God, can't wait till, like, Parshat Kadoshim, okay? At least, you know, chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, you know, we can talk about, you know, things that, that are real to us and loving your neighbor and not cheating and not stealing and... and, and uh, you know uh, n- not telling tales about your, your and living an ethical life within society that's what chapter 19 is about in the holiness code but but just you know take that imaginative leap and say wait a minute this this captivated everyone's imagination this was the focal point of everyone's life you know you have to appear 3 times a year and you can't appear empty handed and if you had something that you needed to give you get and we based you know, a whole story in, you know, that's a foundational story on an on olah, a sacrifice, a pure uh, burnt offering that actually didn't go the way it was supposed to go. You know, and, and, and actually, if you're, I'm you know, I, I'm reading it closely and thinking, yeah, Abraham never intended it to go. I, we can talk about that next year when we get to Parshat Vayera again. But but what God asks of him, which is the impossible ask of sacrificing, you know, his son, as a burnt offering, it was never going to happen. There was never we could never be a religion based on that, and so it had to. We had to find a way to take the power of this and to transform it. And and okay. I, I entered so, this, you know, with humility, trepidation, awe, and trembling to think that that here we have the literature of it, and the literature cleans it, sanitizes it, sacralizes it, but it's it's it it's everything. Okay, so
0: so a couple of things. First of all, we, we can talk about it in Parsha Shmini too. By the way, when yes. we get another couple of uh, Nadav and Abihu and, and their sacrifice. But I, I want to, you know, you 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 related that um, through the prism of the Book of Deuteronomy, which is that there's one temple and and it's like ultimately Jerusalem, and everyone has to come three times a year. But you know, as we look at the Bible as as a compound text, not not a single univocal text, one thing that you'll notice in the Book of Ikra is the Book of Ikra never says there's only one altar. That's the main, main theme of Deuteronomy. He says it over and over again. Don't sacrifice in your local altars. Only come to the place where I will cause my name to dwell. It's the one place. And and that's that's like a main theme of Devarim is that it doesn't trust what apparently was the previous system, which is that there were lots of local altars. And there's plenty of evidence throughout the Tanakh that everybody had local altars. Yeah, and so when uh, when Vaikra comes along here, and and I think it's like, you know, this is a, a matter of academic argument about what's earlier, what's later. I, I think that that it, one thing that it seems relatively clear to me, at least, is that Deuteronomy is centralizing something that was in Vaikra decentralized. And so I'm going to take a stab and say that Vaikra represents a time in Israelite history when there were lots of local altars, and so. Adam ki kem korban, personal offers of sacrifice, doesn't necessarily mean they're at this mega temple in Jerusalem. It might be there at their local altar, and they might be with their neighbors, and it involves food. food. Food to God in the form of the korban, food to the kohen in the form of you know, certain portions of the animal that the kohen gets as kind of payment for doing the work, but food for the family as well. The people, well, so the
1: you're referring to some something that's on the menu of, of the so, korbanot, the zevach shlamim, you know, which is zevach a, a, a shlamim. festival so, offering, a feastal offering. So, so I, I want
0: to ask you, Rabbi Malaman, who we happen to know that you are, and for, and for quite a few years, a vegan, yeah. And so, so your enthusiasm for this as a religious theme. And, and knowing that it was a part of people's, like, gustatory lives, too, their nutritional lives, like, well, how, 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 read that, react to that.
1: I'll tell you how I, so, so for psychologists watching this, they can see my enthusiasm is the sublimation of all of the desire by not eating meat. I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. I watch these videos about, about you know, this, especially this wilderness cooking. I'm, I'm fascinated by it because, because it, 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 captivates the primitive sense and that the primitive our primitive origins you know and, and we're talking only a hundred years ago when you actually took uh, a chicken or you took a an animal to the shokhet and you slaughter and the, the, the you know you may have looked the other way but but you were fascinated you know you may have been fascinated that but you needed it to eat i'm 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 totally fascinated by it and i'm not evangelical about 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 um veganism. I think, you know, I'm entitled to my mishgas. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fine. Let's talk about, let's talk about Shabbat Zachor, because we're, we're heading into, into, into the halfway mark here. Okay. It's Zachor this week. Zachor because of Purim. It's, be, we're remembering. Zachor et asher asa lecha amalek. Jeremy, what did they do to us?
0: So, amalek in, in, uh, in Exodus, right after the crossing of the Red Sea, you know, I guess that's chapter 17 there. Um, Amalek attacks them without provocation. Very cruelly, Joshua leads the battle. Moses is on top of the mountain, and whenever he gives the touchdown symbol, the Israelites win. And when he when his hands get heavy and he falls down, uh, the Vegavar Amalek, and then Amalek starts to prevail. And so through the day, J- J- Joshua finally wins the battle. And there, Yad al Kesia. God, you know, God. Moses says that takes a, God takes a vow by, by the divine throne, milchama l'adonai ba'amaleg midor-dor, God will always be struggling with this wicked people. Over time, it comes to mean not just one ethnic group of, of all the various ites that one reads in the Bible, the Girgashites and the Hevites and the Prizites and the whatever whateverites. Amalek comes not to mean just one ethnic group, they come symbolized as, like, the, the, the kind of cosmic uh, uh, evil doing adversaries. And so, in Deuteronomy, now, chapter 25, there is a mitzvah in Parshat Kitaitse, it'll be, that says, asalecha amalek, Remember what Amalek did to you, um, blot them out, don't forget. And there's this kind of paradoxical moment where you have to always remember to erase. You can't forget to erase, but if you erase it, if you erase the memory of Amalek, then you you won't ever forget. I mean, you won't you won't ever remember if they're fully erased. So it's like this kind of uh, what would you say paradoxical? Um, you always have to remember to blot out the indelible stain of wickedness or something like that. Um, and uh, it comes up on Purim because because the king of Amalek in the battle. 1 Samuel chapter fifteen with with uh, Saul is Agag. His name is Agag, and and Haman. The Purim story is called Ha-Agagi, So we have this kind of parallelism that in the run up to Purim, that story of evil out of control, even if it's kind of a comic story, it's 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 a very threatening evil out of control, and you're supposed to remember that you have to, as Jewish people, you have to never ever ever slacken in your remembrance that evil cruelty wickedness does exist in the world and you got you gotta fight back
1: midor door and and we understand this as a as an eternal uh plight the the and 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 don't want to sound too not cynical but dark here it's like that wherever there are Jews there are going to be anti-semites it's just a feature of of being a Jew, and and you know there's there's compelling midrashim and interpretation that antisemitism preceded the Jewish people, and antisemitism will never will never succeed because the Jewish people are eternal, but it always it will always be coterminal because of what Judaism represents, which is to to be witness to one God in in the world. Barry, you want to you have a
2: yeah, we have a counterpoint to the Amalek story, which is the entrance into the promised land. You know, at least in terms of the Bible, once we get there, we're supposed to stay there forever. With Amalek, as you've suggested, there, it requires eternal vigilance because, as Jeremy rightly noted, the battle with evil is never done. We, get, we may have victories on the battlefield, but the war is never over. Okay. And it requires... It requires vigilance and diligence. And I think we need to also connect it with Pesach. I mean, part of the reason why we're doing this, this is one of the four special Shabbatot before Pesach, is that it's a harbinger of the great redemption. And it's a reminder that even though Pesach is often portrayed as a God-driven redemption, all redemption requires the people and their intention to be, redeemed. It's not something that
1: is completely delivered by God and happens to us by happenstance. All right. So we also are recording this the week before Purim. This is Shabbat before Purim. We won't be with you till after Purim. So we have a little game here. This game is a game of dice. The game of dice includes a di- uh, one die is for the chapter and one die is for the verse. And we're going to do chapter and verse and we're going to pick verses out of the Book of Esther. The, the dice on, on your right is the number of chapters, and the dice, the die on your left is the verse. Here we go. Barry's going to start. Chapter 10, verse 12. I don't think that's a
2: verse. There are only three verses in chapter we did 10. Again. <laughs> we <did it> again. <laughs> chapter 3,
1: verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19 in the Book of Esther is as follows. There's no chapter there is not. 13. <laughs> chapter 3, verse 12. Okay, here we go. I'll translate. And the scribes of the king wrote down on the first month, on the 13th day, they wrote down everything that Haman had commanded to all of the satraps and the, the, the courtiers, from every single province and every single uh, ethnic group, am uh, every every single nation to their language, it was written, it was spoken in the name of the king and sealed with the ring of the king. Okay, want to take that off? So on? I, I,
2: I think what we can take from this verse is that writing is, very important in the Megillah. Absolutely. Um, that it's not just here that what Haman has ordered is written down. There is the writing down that will feature in the, the revelation um, of Mordechai's greatness, where something was reported in the Chronicles about what Mordechai had done on behalf of the king, and um, the king had ignored it. And also the Megillah itself is written down, and um, you know at the end of the book, if there had been a verse nineteen in chapter ten, it would have recorded something about how the Megillah was sent yeah. to all the all the lands. And writing is something that gives an element of purpose, but also right. of permanence. Absolutely, and, and I think ceiling. that's you know key to the Book of Esther.
1: Sealing also cool. Okay, second verse. Here we go. We're gonna put. Rabbi Jeremy Komanovsky up, rolling the dice. I have the prerogative here. Chapter 8, verse 4. Chapter 8, verse 4. All right, what do we have here? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> you can read it. Chapter 8, verse 4. Vayoshet Hamelech Esther. et Charvita Zahav. The king took his royal golden scepter. And and extended it towards Esther. Vatakom Esther, she got up. Vataamod lifnei Amalek, and she said, "No, no, no." no. It's, okay, it's, you have to it's,
2: explain it's, what lashon hakia is. Well, okay. no,
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not vatakom Esther, <laughs> but
0: vataamod lifnei Amalek. It's <laughs> vayakom Amalek, vayamod. Should I do another verse? <laughs> no, no, we can do this because. Go ahead. Because okay, so. Esther is a sex farce, okay? The king gets mad at the wife. He has a beauty pageant for for all of the the, the virgins of the kingdom, of 127 kingdoms. And, And when they have their tryouts, they go to the palace at the night and they come back the next morning, okay? And so this is a book filled with a lot of dirty humor. And part of the dirty humor is that when Esther sees the king repeatedly he extends the golden scepter okay as it were so as it were and and first of all you got to like the fact that in the in the entire library that is the tanakh not everything has such a stern face not everything has such a, a, a solemn some of it is just dirty jokes and and in the whole in the whole library of the jewish people that's okay. Um, you know, Purim is Purim is carnival. Uh, all the world's nations have Mardi Gras. All the world's nations have carnival. All the world's nations have Saint Patty's Day. This year, Purim comes out on Saint Patty's Day, and this is our Saint Patty's Day too. And it involves revelry and it involves a little bit of body humor. And that was one of them. So I want to. So you're sure. suggesting
2: that, yeah. unlike Rachel Marx, who said sometimes the cigar is just a cigar. Here, the scepter might be something else. The golden scepter is never just a so, golden
1: scepter. So, as usual, I want to I want to get more serious about this and say that that it actually was dangerous for Esther to enter into the into the, the the king's private chambers, and that and that these gestures, which have all these overtones to it, also include the danger. And that's where this book is. This book is always edging towards that 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 world of danger. Okay, my turn rolling the uh oh, i got i got to to share the screen here so everybody our viewers can see rolling the dice here so and it's chapter me. 7 verse 16 chapter 7 verse 16 we will find it nope, it doesn't exist doesn't exist we got to do it again okay here we go share the screen boom chapter 7 verse chapter 9 verse 7 find it for me while i do this
0: okay i have it Go ahead. read I have it. Oh, okay. This is good. This is. I'll read a a few more. Than this is. This is part of the complicated stuff here. So after they, they, the Jews take vengeance on their enemies. The verse six. The Jews killed five hundred people in Shushan, the capital. And here's verse seven. They kill all of those ten names, those funny names of Haman's ten sons, but they did not steal their property.
1: So, so what I want my reaction to this, on a, on you know, a snap of fingers, is look at this. This is this is a way that that they are trying to eradicate evil and. It's not an accident that there are ten sons of, of Haman, and that ten functions in Judaism certainly as a as a symbolic number. I mean, we don't have the the system of the minyan uh, already in the Book of Esther, but but this is this is the the complete antithesis to the sacred community, the a community of evil that is completely eradicated. And you know the, cust- the custom of of reciting these names is you do it all in one breath. The the reader is supposed to not, not indulge in this. We're not supposed to give them any kind of honor by by reading them with a kind of uh, the 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 verbal uh, enjoyment of the polysyllabic nature of their names. You know, those of us who enjoy the sonorous nature of language would enjoy reading multisyllabic names. And you don't get that enjoyment. It's the only thing you're not supposed to enjoy Purim, is to say their names quickly. One breath, get it out. It's like vomiting them out. But <laughs> I would say. Well, this <laughs> is fun. <laughs> Should we do one more? Just one more for bonus. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll all react to one. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter three, no, verse chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. Well, actually, three verse two is better. Okay. Two verse three. Two verse three is when after the king has has gotten rid of, of Vashti, then then uh what's his name? The Mimuchan or whoever uh says you should have the you should bring the bir- beautiful virgins for the beauty pageant. But in three verse two, the ha melech asher bishara melech. All the king's courtiers knelt down and bowed low to Haman. Because yeah. that's what the king commanded. Wow. But Mordechai would not bow down to Haman.
1: That, that's the mark of a Jew. That's what makes Judaism, Judaism. Judaism is the, it's like, what's the, the rabbinic text? Anyone... Who denies idolatry is a Jew, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't have the Hebrew in my, on my tongue, yeah. but it's it's any you know it's the denial of idolatry, and that's what Mordechai and it's defiance, and it's and it's it's such a courageous moment. What a what a what a what a moment! It's the it is. Do I want to say it's the turning point in the book, or at least one of the the great crisis moments in the book where Mordechai says, "I am not going to do what everybody else does. I'm going to be defiant. I'm going to be uh, true to who I am, and 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 not Bada, because in giving him any kind of respect, it's validating the evil that he represents.
0: Take- By the way, it's, tra- it's chapter, it's Masecha Megillah, chapter page uh, uh, thirteen. Kol ha-kofer beAvodah Zara Yehudi. There you go. Whoever that, that's a great comment. Whoever denies idolatry is is known as a Jew. Really,
1: yeah. It, I mean, it doesn't have halachic weight, but it, it, it ought to have, you know, this the strong allegorical um, existential weight.
0: Well, I actually, I actually think that yeah. when when Maimonides, who of course is unique in Jewish history, in in as he he wants like quote unquote proper theology, not just proper behavior when Maimonides has called Maimonides like has the, the, ikarim, the, uh, the, the principles. And he says the outrageous thing, you know, which didn't take through history, thankfully, which is that literally, if you, if you violate one of the Karim you're not a Jew. Yeah. Uh, but he's got this, this teaching in mind that, that what he takes to be correct theology is the denial of Abu Dazara, And no. if you have the wrong theology and you think God has a body or you think, you know, uh, you know what? Whatever wrong thing one would say about God, you're literally not a Jew, so you have to deny the wrong theology if you if you're going to actually be a
1: Jew. Wow. Okay. Last words, Barry? Any? Just a. I'm gonna pass today. Your pass, pass because we're we're all we're entering into this world of 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 joy and also trauma and challenge. That's where the world is right now. We can't and this parsha talk without thinking about our brothers and sisters in ukraine and all of humanity and now the world which is and our really fellow
0: our fellow jew vladimir zelensky
1: really at the, at the edge of, of of danger and in danger with all the horrific things that are happening the bombings the killings that are happening we are with so we might our,
2: say that today we too like mordechai must stand up absolutely
1: May the Merciful One bless our brothers and sisters who are facing danger and take them out of darkness to light. And may we all be able to merit the joy in Purim. As we say at the end of the Megillah, that the Jews had great light and great joy. May we all be able to celebrate Purim in that joy. And so here we are at the end of our Parsha Talk, Parsha Vayikra, Shabbat A little bit of random verse generation here, the first time on the Parsha Talk with merch coming. Shabbat Shalom, happy Boreh. Shabbat Shalom, very